Welcome to Pass the Mic. In this episode, Teresa, Leighton, and Mark, all professionals in human service agencies, child and youth care graduates, and supervisors for child and youth care practicum students, share the way love, vulnerability, and forgiveness inform their practice. I'm Teresa. I am a child and youth care grad, and I work at Chimo in the Solo with Supports program. I'm Leighton, and I'm a child and youth care grad, and currently working as a caseworker position for the government. Uh, my name is Mark Power. Um, I'm also a McEwen uh, child and youth care grad, and uh, I've been I've been working with youth and families uh, for I don't know, 25 years in different capacities and uh, glad to be here. Mm-hmm. I can, I'll go ahead and start um, this, you know, this topic for, for love came up for me. I think uh, it was most real when my, my wife and I uh, ran a parented group home for about four years and uh, it was uh, the, the format of the program was absolutely amazing. It was in a rural setting um, we only had four kids. Uh, they were always boys, only ever four. And um, <clears throat> uh, the idea was, of course, that providing kind of a 24-7 parented, more uh, family-type program would, would be beneficial for, for the boys, uh, which, by the way, they were absolutely correct. It, it did work in the sense of the, uh, the young boys that we got anywhere from 8 to 15 years old. We're able to to form attachments with us now. I remember what happened was is I get very, very passionate about my work and about forming relationships. And you start to realize at one point, you've gone from saying, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna love these kids, and no matter how difficult they are, I'm just gonna power through this," to actually really having deep feelings of of genuine concern and and love for them. Um, because you're getting to know them as a person you're sharing um, some really really difficult moments with them Um, some moments of crisis um, some moments of of pain some moments where they're facing disappointment and um, you begin like in any relationship you're you begin to develop more and deep feelings and part of that was again it's it just adds to the the strength and the bond of the attachment that we we formed that I formed with these kids and it was very powerful. And then it gets to the point, I remember at times just, just not knowing what to say it to some of these, these boys, except I love you. Like, because no one in their life was telling them this because either they didn't have parents at all that were completely out of the picture or parents that were still unhealthy. And I started to wonder, well, who is saying I love you to these kids? And then the question haunts me today still in some of the, the youth and children I work with. And I ask myself, who is saying I love you to you? I find this mainly with the, the older youth that I work with. And it breaks my heart a little because I have people around me all the time that are telling me how much they love me. And I don't know if that voice was to be silenced all of a sudden, how I would react to that. And so I can't imagine what it must be like for some of these youths that don't have this big crowd of people telling them the message every day that they are loved and they are accepted. And it worries me because I'm, I'm somewhat aware of the damage that that can cause to a human being soul. Then, you know, this goes back to my childhood is where all our pathology starts in my case anyway, and realizing that the lack of the lack of love and acceptance, um, greatly impacted uh, my life in, in a lot of negative ways. And so I understand in one sense, when that's missing, what it does to it, people, it, I want to say it almost not breaks them, but it's, it's a big wound, I think, on their hearts and their souls. And so now as, as a worker, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what setting I'm in, I'm aware of of thinking of who are the people that I can count that are, are relaying that message to that. And then if I'm the only one, um, and then I know for sure I'm only the only one, what's my responsibility there? If I was to go up to one of my 20-year-old females that I work with, 
and in that moment say, I love you, what would happen? I know that I, I know, say, for example, I know that you're, you're telling me you're, you're pouring out your heart. You're telling me that this, you feel worthless, nothing's going on. And, and I, I believe that you just need to hear that you are loved by someone. Someone cares enough to say that I will sit here. I will give you the only thing I, that really meaningful that I can give you, which is my time. And I will listen to you and I will share this moment with you. If that's a need, how do I, and I, I, I do, I stay silent. I, I listen and I empathize and I terrified because I won't, I won't say that. I will not. I'll, and that's for many, many reasons. I won't, <clears throat> I don't believe it's the end all and be all. I believe that that love is shown through our actions. <laughs> if someone said to me years later, well, you know, we may, we may never have told you that we loved you, but we did because this is what we did. I'd be like, well, that's, that's kind of a cheap way out because you still need to say it. Right. And so that's my, that's one of my processes that I, I wonder about and I, I, I reflect upon in my own practice. I think, uh, um, I think you're right when you say love is, uh, uh, is actionable. It's, I think, uh, I also think you're right. Uh, in, in what I at least, believe you're saying is that people need love and acceptance maybe more than they need advice. Yeah, I find that um, when when I use the word love, um, especially in a uh, in a political atmosphere, some people believe it denotes attachment. But my guiding principle is always uh, doing the most loving thing. And it's a uh, it has served me well and has uh, uh, really, I, I can say, hasn't steered me wrong. Sometimes good intentions uh, uh, do get punished. Uh, and sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But I, I have to say that uh, loving what society believes are the unlovable or the unreachable has given me the courage to step into situations where uh, I think normally I would feel a lot of fear, but now I see things through a lens of compassion because I'm, I'm behaving lovingly. And I, I will say that, yeah, that this is the result of, uh, I really do believe that those who've been through hardship and adversity and suffering uh, have also learned to forgive and in turn learned to love well yeah, I'd like to see the connotation of, you know, how we, uh, how the word love lands on people uh, change. It's, uh, it, it's critical and we need it more than ever right now because we are, uh, this year has been a year of disconnection. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, and you, you guys probably know this within children's services, I think that a lot of kids come in due to the lack of love or believing they're unwanted or believing they're unlovable. And uh, that's where everything pivots when you realize that uh, your story matters and uh, love is the, is the main ingredient in, in our, in our stories, I think. Well, and, and you mentioned distance, right? And I think about how in, in my practice, I, I demonstrate my compa my compassion for the people that I work with and 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 really for and distance has really stumped my game this year. I you know even just the little just even with touch you know we're so I, I feel so impacted by my communication with some of my kids because of the distance, right? So I, I've found this year particularly difficult, I guess, in how I express myself, how I express um, my compassion for, for others, how I, um, and I, I'm still able to do it in the little things, the little thing, well, the things that I think matter. So like a handmade birthday card or, you know, um, recognition about the smallest little thing could be 
you know, getting really good mark on a test, you know, we go for lunch, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, this year has been really difficult for loving and in a loving field in a compassionate giving back field. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, um, I heard once from someone, I think it was in a training of some kind, and they mentioned how sometimes they didn't believe in giving hugs because hugs was a shortcut. And really, if you want to show your affection, you would tell someone how you feel. And that always kind of stuck with me. Not that I stopped giving hugs when I can, but it stuck with me because it, it reminded me of the power of, of words. And, and like you, Teresa, I was, when this began last March, I had, uh, yeah, I really got bad. I remember around August, I was just finishing my, my practicum at, through you, Vic. I was talking to my professor. I'm like, I'm going nuts. Like, how am I supposed to do my work when I can't meet with people face to face? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I, I really, really struggled because I'm a guy that I want to be there face to face in person. I'm all about, that's how we're going to build this relationship. That's how we're going to connect. And I had to, I had to find a workaround because I couldn't, I couldn't meet the people that I, I needed to meet. And one of the things that the, what you call it, not a philosophy, but practices they've incorporated is the science of safety. And a lot of that practice is, uh, well, one, the one thing I kind of took from that is how important conversations can be and how, when they're done with intention and a little bit of, planning ahead of time, they can be very impactful if we make them impactful. And so I couldn't, I couldn't use my presence in a sense and all these relational skills I had learned. I had to figure out a new way of connecting with people, having meaningful conversations and still somehow helping them progress from point A to point B. And so for me, it became a lot about, I was really cognitive of the questions I asked and, and it came down to, to really three, three questions that I would ask them. It was, what's going well? What's not working? And what are, you, what are you hoping for? Right? And the conversation kind of centered around those three conversations, those three questions. And what it did was it, it brought a lot more meaning to the conversation. And so though I wasn't uh, building relationships the way that I had typically you know, done, I was able to create moments of meaning in these conversations which you know eventually I knew someday I would be meeting them face to face and so on and so forth and it was kind of like when I eventually did I kind of hit the ground running because we had had these meaningful moments over FaceTime over the phone or whatever and so that was my as it were solution to this challenge I mean it never it's not the same you know I think part of it for me was I had to bring that that meaning and I I really wanted to show like, how can I show that I really care about you? I want to know what's important to you. I want to know that what really matters. And when you ask people what they're worried about or what they're concerned about, stuff can really come out, right? Because you'll, you'll hear about the stuff that, that keeps them awake at night, um, what they're afraid of. Um, and those make for really powerful conversations. Yeah, actually we, uh we hold our case conferences every three months and we base our case conference around those three signs of safety questions. And my supervisor or program manager will usually start the case conference by saying, you know, this youth's voice is the most important voice in the room. So why don't you start by telling us what's going well, you know? So, and I think that's really important for building up esteem, for building up the youth, the, for building up the supports. And, and really like, you know, at that moment when he says this, this youth's voice is the most important voice in the room, we all, you know, kind of sit back and pay attention mm -hmm. and really give it up to that youth. Yeah. If there's any one thing I could go back and <clears throat> learn yeah, uh, if I had a do-over in my career it's, it's uh, that I think a universal truth is love is spelled t-i-m-e love is spelled t-i-m-e and uh, the only way I think we really learn that we have intrinsic value is uh, by spending time with people 
um, by them wanting to spend time with us. I've had, you know, uh, I've had some terrific supervisors in my life and I've had some not so great supervisors in my life. And I know that, you know, when I'm in the doorway of, uh, of my supervisor and I've got something heavy on me mm-hmm. and, and he or she could see the look in my face, they'll put down the phone and go, uh, I got really something important to tend to right now. I'll call you back. I apologize. And then I've had um, other supervisors just go, I don't have time for this. I'm just saying that uh, the, t- the time made all the difference because it refueled me to give the time uh, into the child or the family. Because these are really heavy, heavy things we tussle with every day. And uh, if there's any one thing I I wish I had more of, it's time. Mm. And uh, the greatest connections I have with the kids are, you know, sometimes the kids I'm I'm just sitting, I'm just present with um, until they make the first move um, and uh, and initiate the conversation. But, you know, the only way anybody's vulnerable enough to do that is uh, if they spent enough time with you. Yeah, I just, uh, I, always, I always say I wanted to be a philanthropist, but I have no money. So I, I give my time. And uh, yeah, and there's a lot more I can say about it because I find, you know, uh, having this point of reference of working in the reintegration community where people are literally doing time, mm. um, it is a really, it is uh, the appreciation I receive from that community is so much more than than I could ever give because they are truly grateful for the time uh, I put in. And uh, it's an unusual point of reference to know the worst case scenario, if a meaningful intervention that with the ingredient of love and time is not invested. Yeah. I just, uh, that's my advice to all the parents though, is, Mm. uh, uh, love is spelled T-I-M-E, and I, I know it sounds maybe oversimplified, but I, I say never say no to time. If your kid asks you to do a puzzle with them or fly a mm. kite or go for a walk, always say yes, because mm. you'll never get that opportunity again. Uh, so I know with my own daughter, I, I never say no to time, and that's how she knows she's loved. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, too, if I can ask, how do you balance that with with other time how do you balance time with one with time with another well uh, you know i've uh i can always say there's not there's not enough time um and uh i'm not so much a fan of quality time as quantity time uh because i i don't care if you're just sitting and watching you know a, a, a kitten video being cute you know, with, with your child or with your patient or your client. Um, if you laugh at the same time, you kind of synchronize, <laughs> you emotionally calibrate. And so I don't poo-poo watching TV together or just sitting in silence together uh, because I think uh, that is uh, always time well invested. How, how do I balance it? it? It ain't easy. It is really difficult. And, you know, uh, one thing that my when I had left children's services, uh, my wife had said something to me that really resonated with me. And it was that, uh, we don't get the best of you. We get what's left of you. Mm. My family is the backbone of everything I do. And like I said, I can't give, uh, what I don't have. I think sometimes we think, you know, we only have hearts that are big enough to give so much, but, the truth is we're, we're made of love and like we're just waterfalls of it. And uh, there is an endless supply, but it's the time that it just isn't enough of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, will, yeah I, I, uh, I will do more for the love um, than you could ever, you know, give me in, in money. And it's not that I'm, I'm looking for that uh, affirmation or anything, but the act of giving uh, is um, is an act of love, and it just grows my heart. 
the more time I can put in. Mm. So it, it, it takes this from a job or a career to a calling. Mm. And, uh, and you have to indulge some of those things that tug at your heartstrings and, and wonder why you feel so passionate about it. So, and I will say, you know, I think everybody, to some extent, when they start their careers, are trying to starve their own childhood, their own wounds, in the, in some manner. But I think uh, having gone through the growing pains of life, uh, uh, losing family, uh, uh, growing a family, that, uh, yeah, that's the stuff that really matters. I, I could go on and on and uh, get all sappy, but... Uh, it just isn't easy finding enough. If love equals time, there's just, I wish that we had more, more of it. And unfortunately, uh, the truth is that sometimes the people that need the most time uh, are the ones who will initially be the least grateful for it. And that's kind of a trap we can fall into, but the ones who are the least grateful need it the most. And so I like those cases. I like the tough ones. I pride myself in uh, getting assigned unwieldy cases that are that are really challenging because I know the secret. Mm-hmm. I think that that was that was that was really brilliant, Mark. And I, man, you said so many things. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to pick up on. Um, I, you know, I like that, and I I can't agree with you more. Like just this whole we're made of love. I totally agree. I think that when we lose sight of the very thing that we, that we need is the very thing that we have to give away, right? If you want love, you give it away. The more you give it away, the more it comes back. And that really is how it works. Um, and, and for, for me though, there's a part in there that, that just, I hear this voice, self-care, self-care, self-care. Cause when we talk about love, if we don't love ourselves, we can only we can only kind of bubble along the water for so long and um, we only have so much to give and then the people like you said in our lives our families are the ones that can easily take the back seat to that and that's that's not okay right um, they should be getting the best of us and not the rest of us and I think that if we are are choosing to and living this philosophy of, you know what, we need to love, we need to give these kids time, we need to give them love. If we don't, if we don't have things right in ourselves, if we are suffering, if we're hurting, if we are not, don't have some love pouring into us, uh, we can only go for so long before we, you know, we do damage to ourselves. And I've known lots of people. I remember first getting to the field, everyone said, oh yeah, average rate of burnout is two years. I'm thinking, holy crap. So I got two years and then what, what do I do after that? Right. But you see people that, uh, that have balanced their own lives. Well, that haven't taken that time to take care of themselves and, or love themselves, um, which is, which, you know, again, impacts them in the way that they're not able to perform to the best of their abilities. Um, especially if we're going out there on the front line saying, well, we're going to, we're going to love these children youth and families and we're going to show them and we're going to give them time um yet when what time do we give ourselves the chance to uh be refreshed and be renewed and what is it in our life that we get that from and it's such an important practice to uh to maintain i'm I'm with you on that and i will say if if there is any one practice that i do gift myself it, it is the gift of time you know i uh all the greatest minds that I've studied, whether that's an Einstein or a Steve Jobs or a Amelia Earhart, um, one thing they did for themselves to remain clear on their intentions was take time uh, to themselves, by themselves, mm-hmm. maybe one day a week. And for me, the best, uh, the best antidepressant for me has been, um, sunshine and a brisk walk um, alone or with my dog you know Um, but uh, yeah I have to sometimes force myself to carve out that time 
but uh, I'm no good for anybody if I uh, if I'm not restored myself. So I can't afford not to take that time. It's ironic because I feel so so many times it's like it's counterintuitive to take time for myself. Well, if I just do these other things, then I'll have then I'll 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 take time for myself. But you do those other things and the day is over. Like, well, tomorrow I'll do all these things. And it's, it's, a, you never catch up to it. It's like a dog chasing its tail. You That's never get I there. Mean. Uh, man, it's hard for me though. Some days I just, it's like, I wish my wife would get like a hammer and just like nail my feet to the floor and just like, stop, like, just stay here, do what you need to do. Right. Because it's, it's really hard. And, and I, we get in this sense, like I get in this, this flustered brain where I'm like, I'm so behind at work. I just have to work harder and, and and more and then my brain picks up on that so my brain doesn't stop thinking when i when i leave work because it's trying to figure out all these problems and then you know i'm up at three in the morning think about clients problems and trying to figure out how i can solve them and so what it does is it it for me it produces this this huge wave of anxiety um and then i'm you know i'm not sleeping right and i'm not I'm not giving my best at work because i just i'm not 100 percent anymore and so if i was just to stop and and take that time but it's i i get so easily fooled into thinking if i just work harder and i work more then i'll catch up and i'll get to the point where i can rest which is it you know it's just it's it's a and i can logically tell you that doesn't make sense but that's that's where i get trapped right that's the i walk into it so easily every time and i'm like whoa wait a second and eventually i'll take that break and i'll say you know what you just need to you need to stop you need to slow down you take a breath Right. And, um, and then I get, and then I catch my breath and I'm like, okay, now let's, let's approach this with a rational, more rational mind, but it's difficult sometimes. And I know for me, it's, it's often taking on that, that thing that oh, somehow I have to solve, I have to solve these problems. You know, I have to, I have to figure out how to help them. I have to do something that's going to move them along. And I, I too often take that responsibility when it's not, Again, not my responsibility to solve it. It's their responsibility, and I'm there to to help, to assist, to walk beside. But I get lost in that, oftentimes feeling like I have to solve the problem, and it's then I take it on, and that's just a whole that's just a whole mess. But that's uh, that's that's my own issue that I struggle with. So I think the the biggest thing is self awareness, and and at least you're self aware. Of when you when you're when you're bubbling and reaching those limitations, and uh, that's the biggest thing is uh, I think part of that comes with experience, part of that comes with age. Um, some you know I will have uh, I will get hangry because I will wait too long mm. to take my break, and uh, as soon as I I catch even just a, a hint of a, a terse tone coming out with my coworkers. Mm. Um, I can say I'm not myself, and uh, and this is where I just tap out because again, uh, I won't be good to any good to anybody. Um, but yeah, if there's any one thing, it's uh, the best gift we can give ourselves and our our, our the kids and families we work with our self awareness. Because sometimes people don't even realize they're being grumpy or the inflection of their voice. Because um, I have said, do you? Do you hear yourself right now? Or mm. uh, and and sometimes if somebody asking me that, you don't seem like yourself. Uh, it can snap me out of it. But that you need to have good coworkers that you've been in the trenches with for a long time yeah. to be able to call you out. And that's an act of love, even though it might seem a bit sharp in the moment. When somebody uh, who I've worked with for a long time says you you're not quite yourself, um, mm. I, I take that as a, a, a telltale sign that. Uh, I may need to take a breath. Mm-hmm. We really push mindfulness on, you know, all the, all our families right now. Mm. You know, and uh, it's not that mindfulness uh, has to be Zen meditation, but mindfulness is, uh, I think, a practice of self-reflection and increasing self-awareness. But we have to do that for ourselves. So. My act of mindfulness, which I know you two will laugh, is is um, engaging my friends in texts during my work day because it pulls me out of mm-hmm. my work brain mm-hmm. 
and it it connects me to the Teresa outside of work um, because sometimes they don't they Teresa work Teresa thinks she works from the time Teresa wakes up to the time she goes to bed mm. um, so sometimes it's it's a matter because I too struggle with I think we're just going to use time love is time but I you know I, I struggle with time on time on time like the, the layers that I struggle with time wanting to be in the moment with that person that you're with just so that you can really understand and and give them your full attention but then you're late and then you know before you know it it's six o'clock you haven't been home you know so time on time layers really i think my uh i think angela's been my we'll talk about call of duty for like an hour all of a sudden i'm like well i feel better all of a sudden right because i like i like what you said because it's that thing that that keeps us connected that says there's a world outside of the work we do, which I think yes. is so important. And if you think of it as a, these different webs, like you know, I have a web that, that goes here. I have a web that goes to my wife and, and I, and I can pluck those during the day just to, to get out for a moment. And that's like, that's actually, I'm thinking that'd be a great exercise for you to run with your staff someday. Hey, listen, everyone's going to come out, <clears throat> come up with a web of people or things that are going to keep them grounded in what they do by pulling them, outside of their job, letting them know that there is a life outside of this. And so if you're having a day and it's just going completely south, don't forget that you have, you know, there's tomorrow's another day. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to figure out the solution today. And, and having those things and those people in our lives that remind us, you know what, like there is stuff that happens outside of the, the, the crises and the, the stuff that we are, uh, you know, in one sense, honored to see, but also that can really impact us and, and hurt us and make us sad when we go home and make us want to cry. And, and, and having those connections outside are just uh, so important. So I like, I like what you said, the whole idea of, you know, pulling me out of where I am. And, and so I, I just, I love that in my head, that image is just so powerful. I just, I appreciate that. So I love this idea about time because I think that, I think, it's now it's like a problem I want to solve because I, I see that with the, uh, the administrative part of my job, the relational part of my job, the legal part of my job, everything is, is pulling at once sometimes. And how do you divvy up your time somewhere in my head? There's a standard of how often and how much time I should spend with every single person on, on my list that I, I need to see. And, uh, and so that's, that's always the draw for me sometimes having to know when I can say, you know what, I think you're going to be okay for a little while. I need to spend some more of my time over here, which is, which is hard because I know that when you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. And so lately for me, it's been trying to balance that all out. So I'm not just completely ignoring one person or a set of people just so I can focus all my attention where the, the fires are biggest over here. Um, and so every day it's just prioritizing, like intentionally, consciously prioritizing my time, say, who do I need to see? Who needs to be seen? Uh, who needs to be heard? And then saying, okay, well, I have all this other stuff I can do too. So I can balance this with that. Like it's constantly prioritizing and re- reprioritizing and, you know, this voice in the back of my head that constantly says, like, make sure you don't forget to see people. Make sure you don't forget to call this person because at the end of the day, even if I screw up on all the paperwork and everything else, you know, if I know that I've seen the people and I've listened to the, the people that need to be heard, then that is what's going to let me sleep at night, putting people first. If there was one, uh, one hack that, that I think that can help expedite things is, uh, like I said, I'm a bit of a social engineer, and what I had figured out is that um, so many families have just forgotten how to enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they sit down with me, they, they figure it's going to be therapy, a counseling session, where I'm just like, don't talk, just play. Don't talk, play. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if that's just a, you know, a simple card game. Uh, I don't, I don't care if it's cards against humanity. If you, again, if you can curate an experience where people, uh, can, uh, just be together without conflict, that's a win. 
And the more that we can coach parents to invest time to know that mm. time is the primary love language for children, um, the better we're going to, the better gains we're going to, to receive because in, in the big scope, I'm just a character in, uh, in the family story mm. for a chapter. They're going to be together, hopefully for the long haul. And if that time can be curated into something meaningful and fun and mm. light. Um, they'll be, that'll set the groundwork for the heart to heart, but you can't have that heart to heart until you're able just to enjoy each other until you're able to play a game of spot it or, you know, uh, go fish until you can do that. You can't have the heart to heart. And so I say, again, it's one of those things where you can't afford not to put in that time mm. um, together. Cause if you, and the truth is, and I think you, you all know this from, your, your work. If, for me, I know if I don't put in the time at the front end with a patient who's in crisis, um, if I don't put in that time, just, uh, I don't know, just comforting them, but just by being present, I'm going to put in the time at the end of the shift in real crisis, mm -hmm. right? And that's mm -hmm. going to go into overtime. So I spare myself a lot of grief by putting it in at the front end. And I think, you know, recruiting parents just to come in and put that time in enjoying their kids rather than trying to fix their kids is uh, time well spent and takes the weight off my shoulders. I really like what you said about um, just enjoying each other's company. I think sometimes too, we, I, cause sometimes we, our program works with uh, caregivers and, and, and guardians. Um, and sometimes I, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be about business. I, well, I say the business, but, you know, it can be, sometimes I find myself having conversations with parents about, you know, flipping houses or <laughs> careers after social work or, you know, just the most human things and having those, you know, shared human experiences, not as, okay, I'm in I'm in your life for a reason, yes, but I'm also a human and mm. we share common common interests, you know. I find that, that that really just being able to talk about something outside of the business is You know it does it disarms people. When you make that connection, you're no longer your role, you're one human being relating to another human being and it's powerful. It's really, really powerful because they don't expect that. I can guarantee you they don't expect that from a children's services worker. Um, and so you can disarm them a little bit by saying, hey, you know, I really like your apartment. Or I like this or commenting on something and just talking about, you're right, talk, small talk, right? Because they just want to know that they're, they, they want to feel that connection. They don't want to know that you're just a robot in there to tell them what to do. And, and that's going to be it because they've, they've been that they've, they've been on that ride and it's gone nowhere for them. They want to know that you're actually interested in them as a human being, not what the file says, not what anyone else is saying, what they're saying, this person standing in front of you, they want to be connected with. And, and when you give them that, that piece of connection, it, you know, it's, it's really hard to be angry or frustrated at someone that has just spent their time connecting with you, even in the smallest way. And it really is, it builds the foundation for a relationship. I find is, is again, it's, it's that balance. Yeah. I'm here for a reason. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that, but I, I want to know about you first as a person, because I don't know about you. I don't know anything. Um, and I'm not going to start making assumptions um, based on what I'm hearing and based on what people are saying to me, I need to know you. Part of that is is just in my own practice. I think as integrity, like, I'm, I, how am I supposed to make any decisions or or recommendations if I don't know you as a person? Yeah. Right? I can't I can't just read something and say, well, you know, this person's crazy, so I'm going to write them off. Right? I need to know, and I need to connect with you, and I need to know who you are and, and what you like and and what you're about, what's important to you, because you should have a voice in this, just like just like everyone else. And I think. And I know that when people feel that you, you listen to them and they feel that they're heard and validated, I mean, you take the bite out of kind of the whole situation because as a, as a professional, you're there to serve a specific purpose. And 
if they're there to if they're there to see us it's some kind of it's it's a bad situation it's a painful event it's something unpleasant that they really wish wasn't in their life you know mark really said it best just let them sit down and, and play do something because you don't need to make it all about all the time about all the bad stuff you yeah. know and creating those you know those those memories too are powerful. I think of some of these families that have been through such awful stuff and they really don't have a lot of good memories. They just, they don't because for so long, all they've heard is all the bad stuff over and over and over. And so that's, what's in their mind. You know, Mark, you keep coming out with these, these, these one shot deals, which are just so powerful. Like <laughs> you make it sound like it's so simple, but it's not. They're comp. Yeah. They're really complex concepts that it's easy to, to just whiz right by on if you don't, take the time to, to think about that we may be professionals, but the people we're working with are, are human beings. Yeah. I mean, thanks for that. Yeah. I, uh, I work with so many parents and kids in crisis who have lost all hope. Mm. And uh, part of my practice is to help people build a life worth living. The only thing I can truly say that makes uh, a life worth living is relationships. Uh, I'd say second to that is a, a sense of purpose, a reason to get up every day. But without relationships and without even just a, a goal, it's uh, it's really hard to march forward. Uh, I'll tell you a quick little story. I had a I was working um, for a not for profit a few years ago, and I was working as uh, um, a family caseworker. Uh, I had been working with uh, a kiddo who had he had come through. Um, the emergency department several times in crisis, uh, acutely suicidal, uh, multi, uh, you know, um, uh, comorbidity with the diagnosis. And I spent about six months working with the family, just doing what I've talked about playing. Mm. Ultimately, uh, unfortunately, I had left that position to take another job. And I'm not saying I don't believe any of this is necessarily on me. But when I had left to take another job, a couple months in, I had some closure with the family and said goodbye, but uh, the young man had taken his own life. And I went to the funeral and I talked to the mom and I said, I'm so sorry I wasn't there. I wish there was more I could have done for you. She just so lovingly said to me, Mark, you did everything. We have our last family photo because of you. We went bowling together because of you. We laughed together because of you. She seemed to believe maybe his story was inevitable in many ways because just the, the illness was so powerful. But the gratitude mm. that she expressed in that moment where she could have been mad at me and said, why weren't you there? How come? Why would you leave in the middle mm. of all this? But I don't know. She already had a redemptive perspective on being on the, me being in that chapter of their story. I really wish things were different, but it, it has uh, informed my work going forward that you don't know how far the time we put in is going to ripple. And not it's not the time that I put in with the kid or just the parents. It's the time that they put in together. And sometimes you just needed a facilitator there to, like I said, curate those activities. Out of that, I had uh, written a curriculum called Parent Lab, and it's just a place for exploration and discovery and whimsy. And uh, I would just have parents come on a Saturday afternoon and uh, we would just learn some pretty rudimentary games, uh, just games that families can do together. Then Sunday, they would bring in their child who was in treatment. They would play those games. Just like I said, you need these short win games for both adults and kids to have some mastery over what they do to get confidence in even trying. Because I, one thing I think social media has really robbed all of us of is, is this uh, tenacity to try, try again. If it doesn't, if it doesn't happen quickly, we, mm. uh, the, uh, human nature has become to give up or quit. But that's why I think, yeah, small incremental time, enjoyable even if it starts with two minutes and then you go to five minutes and then you go to 10 minutes, it makes a big difference, but people have to learn how to play again. Adults need to learn how to play to look through life with a sense of wonder. And, and like I said, whimsy, because I, I think we stop living when we don't enjoy each other. 
it's all about relationship. I think we, the, the phrase I hear often in children's services is connect before you correct. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Nice. So, nice. The three R's. That you can't, you can't ask anything of anybody unless you've at least said, good morning, you sleep okay? Yeah. You know, I sort of started, I guess, this uh, conversation talking about, you know, how working with those who society deems unlovable or unreachable, how working with them and finding some success gives them courage to move forward. But I think it's also uh, at the end, at the end of love, I think uh, is a theme of forgiveness because what doesn't compute for almost for everyone is that when somebody who is supposed to love and protect you is the person that hurts you. I'm just saying that the real gift in loving people as unconditionally as we can is learning to forgive. When we forgive, we aren't victims anymore. It transforms our trauma. And I don't know if, you know, our society knows what forgiveness looks like anymore. I'm just saying that if you can forgive the person that has wronged you, even as an act of love, it's just going to enrich your life so much more. But you can't have forgiveness without love. Uh, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. That's when you don't care what might happen to the other person. Hate is at least a, an emotional response, meaning there's some, uh, it denotes some sort of connection to the other person. If we can learn to forgive, we'll have uh, lives of uh, courage and going into unexpected places. The formula to a great story is uh, unlikely unlikely friendships overcoming adversity. Just think of Buzz Lightyear and Woody <laughs> and Shawshank Redemption, Red and Andy. Unlikely friendships overcoming adversity. I think if we have rich careers in uh, counseling and child and youth care and social work, uh, it, it will be a, a life populated with unlikely friendships. You know, uh, it'll be grieving together. It'll be winning together. It'll, uh, it'll be all of that. Even when it's tough, the fact that they have somebody that they, they could be vulnerable and real with, what's going to enrich everybody's life. I think forgiveness is, is part of part two. And uh, because there's not a lot of room for it in a society that is based on everything has to, it has to be fair. It doesn't, forgiveness doesn't work into our current formula of how we think things should work. And it's very, it's counterintuitive. People, I'm sure some people believe it's counterproductive. Um, and so that's a very, very difficult concept to teach because it really flies in the face of what we're taught in the Western world from the time we're young. Well, someone takes something from you, you go get it back. You know, someone punches you, you punch them back. I mean, we see it all the time in the escalation of violence uh, everywhere from our schools on up, which is, which is what happens. Instead of forgiving, people are going home and getting guns and you see school shootings, you see road rage, you see people popping pills um, and overdosing because they are so hurt from what the people that love them are supposed to do. They, they never got over it. And even though they, they absolutely have every right to be angry, the forgiveness is the one thing that kind of set them free from that, but it's not, it's not taught in our schools. Our schools aren't teaching that. Who's teaching forgiveness these days? When's the last time you've heard anyone talk about forgiveness? I don't think I even hear outside of Sunday mornings at church. I, I really don't hear that word. And I believe it is powerful. And I mean, I'm sure we could all share stories about how we've either been forgiven or we've had to forgive people in our lives if this is such an important concept, which again, I believe it is for our kids, youth families we work with, how on earth do we teach something that flies in the face of everything else that they've been taught? That's, that's the real, that's a real, real challenge because I, I don't think you can have a true conversation about love. If you can't talk about forgiveness, I may get hurt. And there's nothing in the world I can do to change what that person has done. I can get back at them. I can be angry at them. I can do all these things, but it won't change the indisputable fact that I've already been hurt by them. And there's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can transform that pain at all. There's no amount of alcohol I can drink. There's no amount of drugs I can take that's ever going to transform that pain. 
But if I choose to forgive that person and I let go of that, that's transformative. That's what makes a difference. And just a, a quick short story about the most way back in yonder, I was in a, a part of a psychotherapy group. And every week, this same lady told the exact same story about how she was wronged. Every week, for weeks and for months on end, same story all the time. And they, they kept on encouraging her to tell this story. No one suggested an alternate ending. Well, if you forgive them, then you can go on with your life. Or you can be stuck in this group for the rest of your life telling the same story about how you were, you were wronged by someone. And it didn't make sense to me. It, it, to me, that was insanity. I'm, I'm sure she's still there today telling the same story about how she was wrong because she's so angry and she's so justified to be, to be angry. Ultimately, it was keeping her from living her life. That to me just really illustrated the fact that this is something that you, I mean, how many kids are angry because their parents treated them like crap and just dumped on them and they have every right to be angry in order for them to ever find that, that joy and that peace the only way they can unload that burden is to forgive the very people that did those horrible things to them, which again flies in the face of everything that we're taught. So how do we teach this? And can we, can we truly love someone, but then say, well, I'm not, and not forgive them. Can you have love without forgiveness? Yeah. For, you know, if there's one thing I, I say this often at work and part of the, part of the recipe to to forgiveness is grieving and I often say there is no healing without grieving. And even grieving is a foreign concept in some ways, you know, mm. when, uh, generally speaking in uh, our, our, our workplace, if you, we lose a spouse, a child, a parent, uh, you have a week off. I'm just saying that there's not a lot of value put on grieving. And sometimes the, it might be just grieving how unfair life was, how you just, you're dealt a, a mm. terrible hand and that you weren't uh, loved the way you were meant to be. But just having a biggest privilege for me is just somebody just having a really ugly cry with me. Sometimes it's me having an ugly cry <laughs> with, with my therapist, just like a snotty, gross, ugly cry. You know, the, 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 the chemical composition of our tears, our grieving tears are so different from yeah. the, the tears of pain their therapeutic healing uh, in their in in their chemical makeup but i think uh creating space for people to grieve and even that piece of validation going that sounds really tough or that sure sounds like it was mm -hmm. really unfair like, and i'm so sorry that happened to you i think uh that that is the the base of forgiveness is grieving yeah i think it's it's it, in grieving there's vulnerability and uh, I need help. I'm a little bit broken. To me, broken is beautiful. I think uh, our suffering is not all for nothing. I can truly say I might not be here having this conversation today mm. had I not been through a, a good heap of hardship and adversity. I know in my case, and I, I think it's fair to say in your case too, Mark, from what you've shared, that it depends on your perspective on pain. I've done, you know, I've done some reading about pain and suffering. It's one of my favorite subjects to read about because it, I was just in my own life, I was so well acquainted with it. I'm like, there's got to be a reason for this. What's, what's with all this suffering and pain? And it's, it's interesting how in the, especially in Western society, um, the concept we're taught is you need to escape, avoid, or run from your pain at all costs. Um, and there's about a million different ways you can do it. There is, there's endless ways you can run, run from it. To sit with someone, uh, even as a professional, and willing to sit with them and take a glimpse of that pain with them is, is huge. Um, especially a lot of the, the, the families and youth that come across us because one of the reasons they're in crisis is because they, they've done everything they can to try and avoid that pain. The reasons we're, we're so met with so much resistance is because we symbolize wanting to hold up that mirror to them and say, this is the pain in your life. This is what you're going through. And that's, nobody wants to see that. I can tell you from experience, I don't want, in those moments, I don't want no one coming up to me and reminding me of how crappy life is and how bad I've been treated. I'm like, 
no, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to go over here and Mr. Sunshine and Candy Cane Lane Land because it's all happy and it's all smiles over there. I'm fooling myself and I may even know that, but I don't care because I've learned that you do not face your pain. You run away from it because it's unpleasant. We don't want unpleasant things in our life. Therefore, we have to replace it with anything that makes us feel better. I mean, this... This is the this is the story of my <laughs> my life, which is you know we'll save that for another podcast. So we look at forgiveness, we look at grieving. In order to get to grieving, you have to be willing to look at your pain in the face. And man, I can't think of anything more difficult in our lives than to to look at that. I've seen people run away for years. I've seen good people, good strong people, that have just it was one too many bad things, and they crumbled. And, and they, they ran and they're still running today because they just cannot face one more painful event in their life. They can't. And it's, it's horrible and it's a tragedy. And I see so much of that in the youth that I, and the kids I work with, like they're running, they're running as hard and as fast as they can to get away from all this bad stuff that's in their head that they don't, and in their heart, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to speak about it even. And we come along and say, hold that mirror up in front of them and say, look, look what you're going through. And, you know, how do you walk with them through that? Right. How do you, professionally speaking, how do you become less of a mirror um, and more of a, you know, an opaque piece of glass, you know, maybe they can see bits of it, but they don't need to see the whole thing. Um, And how do we hold that up in a, in a safe way for them in small little doses so they can understand that it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to, to take a little look at this and then put it away for a while so you don't need to look at it. But somehow managing that, that at some point we know that they need to come face-to-face with this um, because if they don't, we've seen the young adults and the adults that they could possibly become if they spend their life running from this. And I, when I have moments of these young people that, that are in those moments and face that pain, I, I can't encourage them i can't congratulate them enough i can't say enough good things when they have that breakdown right when they think that they've lost everything and they think that this is the end i'm saying no this is the beginning what you're doing is amazing this isn't weakness this is strength that you're seeing Um, because our whole perception of strength and weakness is completely skewed right and so that's that's part of it too if if people really believed that strength was in in facing those painful emotions and just breaking down and weeping. I mean, if that was the message society had taught them, we would all be such a healthy society. We would, you know, we'd be so free from so many things because we would just, we would stop running all the time from all that stuff that's dogging us day in and day out. And so how do we, in, in the vein of, of love and of loving these kids, how do we, how do we facilitate that? And how do we think about, walking with them on the journey to, to forgiveness. I mean, definitely it's not our job to do it, but how do we talk about those concepts in a safe way? You know, how do we introduce them to, to concepts like, well, you're in pain right now and you're taking this alcohol because you're running away from your pain, but do it in a safe way where we're not holding up that mirror and, and, and screaming at them. This is all the crap you need to talk about and need to deal with. Um, how do we create those safe spaces for those moments where they can break down and cry? And I mean, this is, I mean, we, we all do this anyway, as child care workers, I know we do. We're all, we've all done this and we've all been there. And, and how do we bring more intention to some of these concepts like forgiveness and, and, and dealing with pain and, and helping them to face this ugly monster in their closet? Yeah. Honesty. Oh, I like that. Keep going. If I, well, I, I, you know, I have a, a, a young man that I uh, think fondly of and, and, you know, sometimes I have to look at him and be like, well, you're running, <laughs> you know, or, you know, that's a really bad idea, but I'm just here, you know, just continuing to be honest, but also like available too. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm the the one who says, you know, I think it's a terrible idea and I'm honest with them, but I'm also, okay, well, if you're going to do that or if, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not saying do it. I'm not, it's not me not saying to do it, but if, 
you're going to do it. What is going to be your plan? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to do yes. this together? You know, it's, it's people, right? It's, it's not black and white. It's, it's, yeah. you, you're constantly in the gray, especially with these like mm -hmm. unique families and these unique kids. If we circle back to just the theme of love, you know, and I don't want people to, to take it wrong. Like, uh, it's not that love doesn't have any boundaries. Sometimes, uh, protecting somebody is drawing that line and saying, I can't be any part of this. I can't mm -hmm. uh, endorse this as your counselor, therapist, what have you. And I think, I would hope that if there is a some sort of pre-existing therapeutic relationship, they know that I'm saying that from a place of loving concern mm -hmm. for, for them and myself. The truth is, you know, these are big questions that, we live in the trenches of the front line. Some of the best friends I've made, not not clients, but just my coworkers, were in the trenches of adversity and hardship mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. trauma and tears. There's no, you're right, there is, we are so dynamic. This is people. Uh, people are not one dimensional. And uh, you really have to be able to be creative, think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. uh, use some imagination. Uh, if we fail our society, it won't be, uh, you know, because of a lack of policy. It'll be lack of creativity and yeah. imagination and mm -hmm. and time, you know, mm -hmm. and love. These are big questions we're tussling with, and that's and that's a good thing because mm -hmm. you know what, black and white. You need black and white. You need rules just to keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm because so many of the kids we work with are the exceptions. They are the ones who have been subjected to compound hardship, um, adding up to trauma. Sometimes the rules need not apply in some instances. And I'm just saying that, I'm not saying that to compromise safety. I'm saying that because we have to get outside of the box of, of how we function. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, instead of that being criticized, I think that should be commended. Uh, people who think differently and, challenge perspectives and how things have been done. I think it just speaks to an understanding of current adolescent culture of the necessity for us to pivot and change and grow and, and get better. You know, I really have to spend a lot of time working on myself. And I'll say, I'm not, I'm not scared to admit, every few years I'll go into therapy just to have that ugly cry and unpack it. <laughs> I will say in COVID, you know, I, I, I was listening to another podcast last week where they noted, they did a survey of like 100,000 people who said, how many people do you have in your life that you could call at 2 a.m. in crisis? Mm -hmm. And more than 80% of the people surveyed said none, zero. Ooh, wow. And I think that really speaks to the disconnection we have in the world right now. Wow. That, yeah. that we are that 3 a.m. call sometimes for people yeah. and there's honor and burden in that mm. in the same regard I've, i'm really fortunate to have people i can call it 3 a.m if i'm in a pinch yeah. you know uh but i thought that is something that i have because it's something i am able to give to extend yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see how we've changed after covid i was a big hugger i was a huge <laughs> hugger it, like uh yeah trauma-informed hugger but i I was always, I'm happy to see people just as happy as my dog is to see me when mm -hmm. I come home. And uh, that's, I think that's what people, well, probably love about me. The, the quality of our communication correlates to the quality of our outcomes and the mask got in the way of my communication. Uh, a visor, you know, I got a, a lot of kids that, uh, don't, that don't get mm -hmm. nonverbal cues or voice inflection. Sometimes I'm better off writing it down than, uh, than, actually speaking it yeah when our communication is compromised the quality of our work is diminished and communication is my bread and butter i live and die every day by the quality of my connection um, because that could be the difference between the, the kid throwing the chair at you or so true so true yeah well even i was talking with a coworker um about this the other day and you know, my communication, I, I feel like I've lost a bit of my relationship um, with one of my youth because any appointment we, we go to now, he's sitting behind me 
Mm. And he talks so quietly. And then you put a mask in front of him and I have a mask. And so like, I'm trying to drive and like, instead of him sitting next to me, I, I miss half of what he's saying. He's having to repeat himself. He's so far away from me. I can hardly mm. see his body language. Like, I feel, I feel like I've gone a year without hanging out with him, like with, with him, you know, in some respects, mostly speak with my face, but you know, half of my face is covered. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I worried for a long time, um, you know, about whether I was going to, you know, get my point across or it yes, masks have affected things. These are big questions. Big themes. This is, this is good company to be in tonight. Uh, you guys have been, it's been phenomenal and very uh, inspiring. I love hearing from other people. I learn so much all the time from other people. And, you know, both you guys have said things that I've stored in my brain. They just have powerful images. And that's how I kind of remember things. So just I'm, I feel quite honored to be in the presence of greatness here. And validated. Like some things that... I think we were talking about shared, like walking alongside and like, I'm, I'm a sop. Mm -hmm. um, so like when I have clients crying, I'm literally like there with them. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. and to hear like, guys like validate that and, and, you know, oh, oh, well, I heard validation in it. So. That was the thought that escaped me before. I think, how do you create a place for people to mm -hmm. talk about, uh, to be vulnerable? Like I'm a big Brene Brown fan. I talk about vulnerability being a strength. And the other part of it, uh, I think we have to shift the connotation of this, but the, the phrase me too has a lot of power where if you can somehow say me too, I feel you, I've been there, I, I got you. That, um, that is an invitation. Say, tell me more, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it creates a, a, a safe place where somebody can feel understood with the worst day of their life. I find myself saying that more is a me too. Tell me more. I think tell me more of them just as powerful as I love you. Yeah. Yeah. I could give you all a hug right now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't like virtual hugs. <laughs> yeah. I can't feel them. <laughs> yeah. Just not the same. Not the same. No. This yeah. is a, while this is the next best thing, it's love is more contagious than COVID. Amen. That's a bumper sticker right there. Bumper sticker. I love it. I'm going to get a t-shirt. Sorry, t-shirt. I'm going to get a t-shirt made of that. Yeah. That is more contagious than COVID. I love it. Yeah. Love. Well, maybe we'll all do a collaboration someday. I, uh, I really enjoy talking to people from different sectors. And yeah. if we can bridge the gap yeah. between you know, and, and combine forces. Honestly, I really think we could change the landscape. And uh, uh, my dream is maybe in, uh, you know, five or 10 years, they'll look to Alberta or Edmonton and go, why, why are people just a little bit happier? And why are there, why is there less, you know, uh, hospital admissions or children's services mm. involvement? And if I could work myself out of a job, that would be the yeah. greatest thing, you know? Uh, but uh, I think if yeah, if the right people come together, we can we can certainly um, change the world. Mm -hmm.